0: My name is Andy, for those of you who I have not been able to meet yet. Um, I'm on staff here at the bridge. I am not the guy who teaches here most Sundays. Um, I get to, That's a Heath who was sitting, oh, he's right back there, he's finding a seat. So in case you're new here and uh, you're trying to like get a feel of what we're like, come back in like two Sundays because he'll be teaching then, so in case I leave a, a bitter taste in your mouth. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh yeah, I'm on staff here. Uh I'm mainly in charge of our small group ministry which Nathan talked about, our transformation groups, uh Sunday worship, the music and, and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes too. Um, shout out to Vanessa back there who's running all this. So, um really grateful for people like her who just serve us so faithfully. So, yeah, that's um that's a little bit about me, but yeah, I'm just going to start um by saying I'm not going to ask anyone to raise hands for this one um, because you might feel uncomfortable with it, but I'm sure some percentage of people here would self-identify as perfectionists. Um, That's definitely me. Perfectionism is one of my strongest tendencies. um, And it's very much a double-edged sword, and uh, one of the ways that my perfectionism is really negative is that I often set these very unrealistic expectations and standards for myself. Um, and often I actually do it unconsciously or subconsciously. Uh, and sometimes I even feel this unhealthy sense of obligation to expectations that I perceive others have of me, um, whether that's actually true or not, whether people actually have expectations of me. I kind of project and, and let those things kind of be this, this burden on me. Um, and when I fail to meet these sorts of expectations, whether they're my own or what I perceive to be others' expectations, it often leads, for me at least, uh, to this, this this kind of downward spiral of of discouragement and frustration, and sometimes even like a self-loathing. Um, so I, I don't know how many people can relate with that, but that that's kind of my one of my tendencies that can be uh, this really big kind of weight on my shoulders. So. The passage that we're looking at today uh, in the Bible is, is from the letter of Philippians. Last week we started uh, a series that we'll be going through the entire spring uh, in the book of Philippians. And so we're going to be reading just one prayer, three verses, very, very short and simple. Um, and at, at a glance, on the surface, it can seem like this prayer is kind of presenting us with one of these impossible tasks, uh, expectations. And so it might be really tempting as we're you know reading through it at first to to feel deflated and you know really wary of just the the enormity of that task, the impossibility of what seems to be a task. Um, but my hope and my prayer has been that you know as we dig in today into into God's word, um, that that we see that embodying the, the, ta- the task of embodying godly self-sacrificial love. Um, It's not, it doesn't come across as an obligation. We don't see it as that, or like see it as an obligation or task, and that we have to grit our teeth through, um, but that it really is a joyful invitation. It's a, it's a, it's a privilege um, that we, that will ultimately enable us uh, to know God more deeply and to get ready for our ultimate destiny and our greatest joy. Uh, So I'm going to pray for that this morning, and we're going to, uh dig into to the word, so um pray with me, please um, Father God, uh, thank you that you are you are great you um there are there are no words that fully describe um, just the glory of you and but I just thank you that um, as small as we are as small as our comprehension is, God, you reveal yourself to us um, in just so many ways, big and small and I thank you that um, you, you have revealed yourself uh, through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ, and I thank you that because of that, uh, we can become united uh, with you and with one another as you always intended it to be. Uh, I thank you for uh, specifically this morning uh, and just the opportunity to come together to lift your name high, to, to let your word uh, just be the meditation of our heart. Um, I pray that you would be amongst us, uh, that we would be just embracing your presence, your love, uh, and let that be um, just our, our one source of everything. Uh, so I just thank you for everybody here and uh, just the ability to come together like this and to worship openly, and I pray that uh, we would just, uh, our hearts would grow closer to you and together. Uh, so I pray this things in the name of your Son, by your Spirit. Amen. So um, I mentioned that last week is when we started uh, the series that we'll be covering this entire spring uh, in the book of Philippians. And we're going to read, uh, uh, sorry, um, and we're, uh, Heath started by reading the first eight verses um, and we're gonna read just the next three verses, nine through 11, um, which will, those three verses will wrap up the concluding, or the opening remarks of Paul's letter. The book of Philippians is actually a letter in case you you didn't know. The book of Philippians is a letter that uh, the the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in in, uh, the Greek city of Philippi. And so one of Heath's main points last week, in case you weren't here, or in case you just need a refresher, um, was that the Apostle Paul wasn't simply exercising his professional commitment to an organization the way that it might be perceived in a vacuum, uh, but he's actually really expressing a personal affection for a group of people that he has this very strong um, kinship and history with, so yeah, I, I just bring that up to hopefully kind of keep that tone in mind as we're about to read the passage. So uh, the verses will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, if you if you would like to have a copy for yourself in front of you, uh, there are Bibles under the chairs, and so um, yeah, feel free to use that. And if you don't have a Bible, take it. Um, and one cool thing that I'm really excited about, actually, is you probably noticed, but these um, black journals, I, I don't know what they exactly say other than Philippians, <laughs> um, but these are scripture journals. And so these are something that we, we found, I think, last week, or he found it, or Karen found it. Um, and basically, it's, it's, an opportun- it's like the entire contents of the book of Philippians and a lot of space to write notes. And so I'm the type of person that hates writing in my actual Bible. I don't know if anyone else is OCD like that. So especially if you're like me, hopefully this is a good resource. So please feel free to take it if you think you'll use it. Um, If not, please leave it just so that we can have it for other people that might want to use it. Um, But yeah, hopefully that's a helpful resource for anybody that um, wants to use it. So all that said, let us read. Um, We're actually going to start in verse 3, which was, you know, a good chunk of what Heath Uh, covered last week, but that's a very important lead up into the three verses we'll be focusing in on. So we're gonna read Philippians chapter one, verses three through 11. So I'm gonna read that, um, so it starts like this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, And this is where we start our passage today. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. So um, it it, it can be really easy to miss this, but in verse 4, Paul mentions a prayer that he frequently made for the Philippians. And so, the verses we're focusing on today, nine through 11, are that prayer. It kind of does like kind of a circular path to actually get to the prayer, but that's where we're landing today. So, um, just a simple summary. I'm gonna read verse nine alone again, just to give us our starting point. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So, uh, simply put, Paul is expressing a single request in this prayer, and it's that the Philippians love would abound more and more, which really uh, kind of creates this imagery of an abundance, a overflow, a exponential multiplication of this love. And so that it can seem pretty straightforward, but there is a lot more to those few words than, than, than we see at first. Um, uh, as some of you might know, this letter along with m- the entire New Testament of the Bible was originally written in the Greek language, ancient Greek, uh, and the Greek word that Paul uses in verse 9 that we get translated as love is the word agape, and again, you may, have, may be familiar with that if you've been in church for a while, um, but I wanted to, for the, for the nerds in here, um, I wanted to kind of give you some numbers about love in the Bible, uh, specifically in the New Testament. Um, In the New Testament, love appears in some form 286 times. I did not count that manually. There's a software out there, thankfully, that gives you those sorts of numbers, but um, love appears in some form 286 times in the entire New Testament. And so agape, that I mentioned, that's a noun, the noun love, uh, but it also has a verb form. Um, And so combined, those two forms alone account for 250 of the 286 times that that appears in the New Testament. And I calculated for, for the numbers people out there, that's 87.41%, so pretty impressive. <laughs> um, and more, and kind of more nuance, uh, Paul alone uses agape in the noun or verb form 104 of those 250 times. Um, so obviously, the idea of agape is pretty important in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, and, and to Paul, who's the, the writer of this, this passage. Um, And so agape means a lot more than one English word can convey. Paul actually spends a a whole portion of another letter to a different church, to the church in the city of Corinth, uh, describing what agape is and what it does. And it might be familiar to some of you. Um, It's it's a very famous passage. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And so we are going to jump there. First Corinthians chapter 13, we're gonna go through verses one through eight and then j- cover just uh, the, the last verse of that chapter, verse 13, so I'm gonna read that. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And we're gonna jump down to the final verse of this chapter, verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul, if you notice, Paul's describing love, but he's actually describing it mostly in the negative, what it's not. And so when we invert that list of negatives into their you know, corresponding positives, uh, what we get is a definition of love that is, is really detailed, it's really profound, and it's really humbling in my opinion. So th- that list is love is patient and kind, it is content and humble, it is humble and gentle, it is self-sacrificial, it's calm and forgiving, it rejoices in the truth, it suffers, believes, is hopeful and enduring, and finally, love is eternal. So, th- this sort of love is is so much more powerful and profound than the general feelings of affection that we use, like when I will talk about, uh, you know, my love for the Seattle Seahawks or or sneakers or Texas barbecue. And in case anyone is asking, the The sneakers I'm wearing, they are actually a Kobe Bryant sneaker, so just a little tribute to him. Um, Yeah, so all that to say. um, So agape agape love, the love that Paul defines in 1 Corinthians 13, um, what agape love does is it cultivates the dignity and the well-being of others instead of allowing uh, us to indulge our selfish and harmful impulses. This sort of love, this agape love, embodied by God, and so he lavishes it upon all of his creation. And, and it's this sort of love that Paul prays the Philippians will abound in. So I actually want to jump now to um, the letter of 1st John uh, chapter 4. And we're gonna go to 1st John chapter 4. Here we go. Um, we're, we're gonna start at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, So, again, I counted numbers. Um, Agape is used in some form ten times in just four verses. It's just like every other word practically. And so, hopefully what you get from reading this passage is that agape, by the way, the love every time in this is is agape. It's not some other uh, form of love. It's agape here. And so, hopefully what we get from this passage is that um, agape love is, is not possible, we, it does not exist without God Himself first. God isn't just described as loving, He is equated with love, He is love. And so, He is the original source of all love, and so when we think about how Paul defines what agape love is. We see that God is eternally patient, He's kind, He's gentle, self-sacrificial, forgiving, all those things that we listed. Um, So what Paul is really praying for then in in Philippians is that God's people would be the embodiment of of God, the embodiment of God and His agape love. So I mentioned at the beginning that this can seem like an impossible task. but Paul isn't commanding a task. He's praying this over people that he, he considers family, people that are his friends, um, people that he knows personally. So this, but at the same time, prayer, praying for this isn't simply wishful hoping, which unfortunately it seems like the contemporary definition of prayer today is kind of just this good thoughts and good vibes kind of deal. No, Paul is praying praying this over the Philippians, people that he loves. He's praying that their agape will abound. Let's go back to to verse nine of, of our passage in Philippians. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So thankfully, he's not just praying wishfully, sorry, he's not just wishfully thinking this, he actually gives them instruction on what it looks like to, like how their love can abound. And he says, with knowledge and all discernment. And so, I don't know about how it strikes you at first, but to me, that kind of seems vague. He doesn't really specify knowledge of what, discernment of what. Um, And I think I would imagine that when most of us first read knowledge in this context and other contexts, we tend to think about general information, just raw data that we have learned somehow through um, education or experience. But here's another instance where the English translation doesn't do full justice to what is written, what was originally written. So let's do another linguistic examination, but I promise it'll be a lot briefer this time. Um, So there is a Greek word for our our typical idea of what knowledge is, Uh, but that's not the one that Paul uses here. Instead, Paul uses the word epignosis. You don't have to remember that, but he uses the word epignosis in case people are interested. Um, and this is actually a word that he uses a decent amount in throughout his letters in the Bible. And when he uses it, he almost always uses, almost exclusively uses this word epignosis in the context of a knowledge of God and a knowledge of God's truth. So, Paul here is teaching that love abounds, agape love abounds, only as we grow in our knowledge of God and his truth, both at a conceptual, kind of educational, intellectual level, but I mean even more so by personal experience. Um, I I did not grow up in Texas, uh, confession, I was born in Texas, I did not grow up in Texas. So before moving to Texas about eight and a half years ago, I had not read a single thing about. Barbecue, like how to make barbecue, how to smoke quality barbecue, and I'd only been to a handful of less than mediocre barbecue places because it's not Texas. So, um, but having moved here eight and a half years ago, in over the course of these last eight and a half years. Um, I've read a lot, I've heard a lot about all the techniques involved, all the different styles, and more importantly and more enjoyably, I've eaten at dozens of different barbecue places, uh, including 10, this is not bragging, including 10 of the top 20 in the current, the current top 50 in Texas. I've eaten at some of the other ones that are not in the top, top 20 anymore. Anyway, um, not bragging, just saying. Um, so my love, my love for barbecue has only grown as I've delved deeper into that world. And so, you know, really, for me, as, as I was preparing, I, I realized I have to do some heart work. And I think we all have to do some hard work, because I'm sure there's, everyone has their passions like this. I hope I'm not alone in that. Um, you know, but I have to ask myself, do I approach my life and my relationship with God the same way that I treat barbecue? Um, do I? Do I? I you know what, what? And what I've realized is that a lot of times I'm quicker to to preach the gospel of good barbecue to other people uh, than I am quick to speak about the beauty and the goodness of God in my life and in general. Um, you know, I've I've gone on I don't know how many road trips to get just to get barbecue. I don't know how many hours I've spent in lines waiting for barbecue. I don't know how much money I've spent on barbecue. Um, do I, do I invest that much? Do we invest that much of ourselves into the love of God, into our relationship with Him, into our understanding of Him? Do we allow ourselves to experience that? Um, you remember in, in John 4, a central, a central truth about God, His nature, is that He is love. And so as we, it's, it's, it's when we constantly immerse ourselves in that, in His agape love, Um, when we read about it in the Bible, when we experience it through our relationships with each other, um, when we just uh, appreciate just the tangible blessings in our lives, that's when our agape will abound. So, after saying that his prayer for the Philippians, after saying the prayer for the Philippians agape love to abound, Paul expounds, um, he lists two inevitable outcomes of an abounding agape love. So now we're going to read verses 9 and 10 together, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may, be, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So we're going to break those two things down. The first outcome that Paul lists is the ability to, what he says, approve what is excellent. Uh, So so the word he uses here that gets translated as approve was used a lot in the context of metalworking um, where it, it meant to confirm something as genuine or authentic. So basically Paul is saying that those who abound in agape love will actually be able to determine genuinely excellent things from false or even good things. Uh, and I can attest to that. Having eaten a ton of, of great barbecue, or just barbecue in general, um, especially at the, the good places, um, it's given me the ability to discern what is, what is great from the things that are just good and the things that are very underwhelming. <laughs> um, and just a side note, it's, it's a great thing in one hand, but on the other hand, it kind of ruins a vast majority of barbecue, <laughs> and if there's any like coffee snobs or beer snobs or wine snobs in the room, I think it's kind of similar, where you kind of can't take the the the, the lowest common denominator <laughs> anymore. So anyway, that's just a side note, but the, in a, you know, an example of what it means to be able to to discern excellence from the goodness just by experiencing it more for yourself. So obviously, Paul isn't talking about trivial things like that. Um, he's he's saying that abounding in agape love will enable us to accurately identify it, to to recognize it, uh, and then, you know, from the things that might just appear that way but aren't actually. Like, their substance is not excellent, it is not agape, but we will get the ability to to identify those things, to recognize those things. Um, And I think knowing the context for the people he was writing to is helpful, and it's actually very relevant to us. The Philippian Christians, they lived in a city called Philippi, which was a Greek city, and it was dominated by only non-Judeo-Christian religions. It was dominated by Roman, Greek, Egyptian, other religions and philosophies. Um, so, th- their like the society, the culture of Philippi, their definition of love was so different from what agape love is. In in many ways, love was was. Simply and sadly, just selfish hedonism at that time, and so the benefit uh, for the Philippians of being able to approve what is excellent, to to recognize as genuine the things that are excellent, godly, um, it's it's a benefit that we can also experience. Um, being able to discern what truly embodies agape love will enable us to celebrate and cultivate those things, and and thus it won't only help ourselves experience and and be immersed in God's agape love, but it will help others do the same. People that need it, people that crave it, people that don't know they need it. So the second outcome that Paul lists of an abounding agape love is, is being pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so the day of Christ is, that kind of sounds really vague in a way, the day of Christ is the same event as an event that gets frequently mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, which you may be familiar with. is called the day of the Lord. And so the day of the Lord slash the day of Christ in the New Testament context, it's a day sometime in the future, we don't know exactly when, when God will judge all things that are under heaven, all created things, um, where, and in doing so, he will abolish and remove all that is evil. Excuse me and more importantly, finally reunite with all that is good in, in a perfect paradise, the type that he intended this earth to always be. Um, so for every single person whose faith is in Jesus Christ, the day of Christ, while it is a day of judgment for everybody, um, it is not a day of destruction for those who are in Christ. It's actually a day of celebration. It's a day of celebration to look forward to, when Jesus returns, the entire church will be united with him in a holy matrimony, in the, tr- in the truest sense of a holy matrimony. So I actually want to read two passages very quickly um, that, uh, that talk about this union between Jesus and his church. So we're first going to go to um, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, um, chapter 5, and you may have heard this a lot at weddings especially, um, where it talks about the metaphor of marriage and what it really means, what it really points us to. So we're going to read just three verses of that passage, verses 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And we're going to jump to Revelation. It'll be on the screen, so don't feel like you have to jump to it in your own Bibles. But Revelation chapter 19, the the final um, book of the Bible. Um, uh, Sorry, chapter 19, verses 7 through 8. Sorry, the pages on my Bible are really thin, so it's hard to navigate through here. So, um, Revelation 19, verses 7 through 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb, that's Jesus, has come, and his bride, the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So I hope that y'all notice something. There's a connection between the imagery in these two passages with, with what Paul is talking about, this pure and blameless for the day of Christ, and that all is very, I guess tangible in something that we're probably all very familiar with and that's the modern wedding dress. Um, The unblemished radiant color of a wedding dress, it's symbolic of something so much deeper than what you see. It's supposed to symbolize the purity of a heart that's ready to uncompromisingly devote itself to one person forever. So as God's people, our life's purpose should be to prepare ourselves for the big day, the big day, and to prepare ourselves as best as we know how. And it's abounding in agape love that will prepare us. It'll prepare us for the most important, joyous day of our lives, both individually and as a, as a family under God, um, prepare us for the day of internal, inseparable union with our Savior. And so, again. Uh, thinking about the perfectionism, this becoming pure and blameless, that sounds impossible, and it is. It is impossible if we are responsible for it by ourselves. But thankfully, Paul clarifies immediately where this purity and this blamelessness comes from. It's not from our own actions, just a a spoiler alert there. Um, So we're going to go back to uh, Philippians 1. We're going to start at the second half of 10 and read into the first half of 11. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So Paul is specifically alluding to the purifying effect that Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, uh, what that effect has on those who believe in him. So purity and blamelessness are not something that we as God's people accomplish for ourselves. That's an identity that's been given to us. And I actually wanna jump back to that last verse of the passage we read in 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Because so, it so perfectly summarizes what Paul is alluding to here. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That, that should be so comforting to us, whether or not we're, you identify as a Christian now, that should be so comforting because God not only loves us eternally and unconditionally, as we've talked about, thinking about the definition of agape, godly love, um, but He provides us the means to prepare, to, to become pure and blameless, to have that as our identity, not something that we try and grit our teeth to try and achieve or earn. So if you don't, if you're here and you don't currently identify as, as a follower of Jesus, someone who, who, who calls on him as Lord and Savior, there's another invitation here. Not just the invitation to abound in agape love, but to receive God's love and to receive it through the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just a admirable and influential moral teacher. He is the Son of God who unjustly but willfully took on the punishment for our sins so that we could be restored into relationship with our Creator. So Jesus is the only way <coughs> excuse me to the Father. Jesus is the only way to the Father. The only way that we can become the pure and spotless bride. <coughs> excuse me. So um, I want to wrap up by, by reading the, the entire path, the passage in its entirety, 9 through 11. Um, <clears throat> let's see, I've got to jump back here. So, this is, this is Paul to God's people. Um, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The ultimate outcome of Paul's prayer being fulfilled um, is is God's glory and praise. So when we as, as God's image bearers and when we as God's redeemed children through Jesus, when we abound in godly agape love, we serve as Magnifying glasses, magnifying glasses to God um, so that it becomes undeniable to anyone who believes anything else about God. The love of God becomes undeniable to those who believe anything else. So when we unconditionally and constantly exercise the same patience, kindness, contentedness, humility, gentleness, self-sacrifice, calmness, forgiveness, um, as God does in the face of, of really abusive conditions, whether that's mockery or suffering or what have you, um, when we exercise that same sort of love that God is, that's when we point people to, to the sort, the very source of, of that love. And I, I truly believe because we are image bearers that, that God's love is something that everybody, regardless of their status and like their belief in Jesus, Everybody can intuitively recognize, because that is an intrinsic part of the image that we've been made in, every single one of us. And so, and so people will recognize when we, as God's people, exercise and, and, and embody agape. It is not an easy thing. You all know that, I'm sure. It's not easy to do that in every circumstance. But thankfully, again, we're not expected to do it perfectly, we're expected to do it faithfully. Um, so really, there is just, it's just a joyful invitation. It is not a, it's not a task to constantly feel ashamed of failing at. It's not something to, to feel like we have to push ourselves through it when we feel like we can't. It's an invitation that God extends it through, through Paul to us um, to, just, to simply just immerse ourselves. Immerse ourselves in God's love. Embracing his word, embracing fellowship with one another, And every good thing with our hearts and with our minds and with our bodies. So it's it's when we do that, when we immerse ourselves in that way, that our agape love, the love that God is and has for us, when that will abound. So um, I'm going to pray. God, um, I know I take that for granted so often just how, how wide and how high and how deep and just how perfect your love is, how undeserving I am, how undeserving we all are, God. But I thank you that um, you, ha- you make a way to, to experience your love, you make a way to embody your love, to share it with people who who maybe don't even know that they need your love, God. Um, I thank you that it is not something we have to achieve on our own just by uh, a strength of will, not by our own discipline or anything like that, God, but um, that you, you make it abound. Um, so I pray that uh, just this morning that if nothing else, that every person here, including myself, God, that um, we would just embrace the invitation to immerse ourselves in, in your love, in your agape. Um, and I pray that, uh, God, that we would just be in awe and in gratitude of, of that, that privilege, that joy. And I, I, I have no, no doubt that as we do that, that more and more people... Who are, who are far and, and needy and hurting will, will get to experience your love. Um, and so I thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you for your word that you reveal this truth to us. Um, thank you that you invite us in, that you do not shame us, God. You do not um, set a bar for us, but you enable us to, to be this, to experience this through your son, Jesus. Um, So I just thank you for this morning and I pray all these things in the name of your son Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Amen.